Praise the Lord. Y'all in church this morning? All right. He came back for more. <laughs> Gluttons for punishment. All right. So now, you know, for a couple of months now, I knew I was coming and I decided right away we were going to do what we did this morning. But for tonight, I could think, what am I, what, Lord, what should I do? And finally, I came up with just a very simple little plan for tonight. I want to start in Genesis and kind of just lightly skip through the Bible with random passages about marriage and relationships. I'm calling it Bible Nuggets on Marriage. And uh, hopefully it makes sense. The first verse I want to start with, Genesis the ninth chapter, verse 14. <laughs> Check this out. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you, me and you, and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Not your typical marriage verse, but uh, actually it deals with a very important subject in marriage. One of the things that I've noticed with couples that just drives each other crazy is when they have to remind each other about stuff. Why do I always have to remind him? Why do I do that? And then the person who's getting reminded gets mad. What? Reminding me all the time. Why do you think I'm stupid? No, no, man, I'm just crazy. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Drives you crazy. And they're so frustrated. Why do I have to remind? And, and oftentimes we forget that we got to keep reminding each other what we need from each other, right? Guy says, Well, I told my wife I need it. Well, you got to tell her again. Oh, well, shouldn't have to do that. Yes, you should. It's what we do. We need to remind each other. Now, People think having to remind or needing to be reminded is a sign of weakness. That's a sign of not caring, but that is not true. What if being reminded and reminding and all that is not a sign of weakness or some kind of a fault, but it's actually a sign of a family trait? And by family trait, I mean the family of God. You see, we're all made in the image of God. God made us like him in so many ways. And you'll notice that in this story, oftentimes when you take Old Testament stories and uh, you kind of recall it, uh, we often recall them inaccurately, even in the church, because we often reach to the uh, version we heard in Bible church or children's church and they very simplify things and stuff like that. What most people remember of this is that God put a rainbow in the sky to remind us that he'll never flood the world again, right? How many think that's what that is? Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> that's not what it says. It says he put the rainbow in the cloud to remind him. I will put this in here. Whenever I see the rainbow in the cloud, I will remember the covenant I made between you and me. God does it intentionally. And it's very interesting. If you look at the word remember, I counted this up, I can't remember. Not really all that important, but the first like 15 times in the Bible where it talks, the word remember or being reminded is used, seven of them are talking about God. Him being reminded. Him needing to be reminded. Say what, God has Alzheimer's? No! 
It's not that something's wrong, it's just this is the way God works. Our brains are healthy when you can go back into the vault, open the drawer, and pull out what you need, and you can remember it. That's normal, all right? What's not normal is when you go back in the vault, open the drawer, and there ain't nothing in the drawer. You know what I'm saying? That gets a little creepy. And the older we get, the more often that kind of happens. Not that there's anything seriously wrong, I mean, you know. But man, how many of us my age, man, you go into a room and you get there and you have no idea why you went in the room. And you can't remember. See, when you can't remember, that's scary. That's a little creepy. But the need to remember and to be reminded is a godly trait. Don't get mad and bitter about it. You know how many times in the Old Testament guys would pray prayers and they would remind God about his promise. Oh Lord, remember your word. And they would quote back God's word to him. It's a powerful word to pray. Get the word of God in you so when you can pray, you can say, oh Lord, remember you said in your word such and such. God likes that. He doesn't get mad. Quit trying to remind me about stuff. It's just the way it works. Why? I don't know why. I don't care. All I'm trying to tell you is get comfortable with telling each other what you need from each other. You say, well, some of it's ridiculous. Whatever, just do it. My wife, for the last 43 years, has had to remind me every night of the week whenever it was time to take out the garbage. You would think I'd get a clue after a while. Amen, Amen she says. But see, she's laughing about it. We still laugh about it. Hey, don't forget it's garbage night. <laughs> How can I remind? But there's people, they get angry about it. They get bitter about it. Why do I have to remind you? You're not going to have Quit trying to remind me, woman. I'm not stupid. On and on. Stop. You need to remind each other. And some of you have varying needs. Look, we're all different. And at times, you're going to have to remind each other. You're going to discuss stuff. It's like I talked about this morning. You, you, you deal with the subject, and then it'll be coming around. And then you got to deal with it again. Constantly revisit things. Don't get mad about it. I'm just shocked at how many people get mad that they have to revisit things. This is the way it works. God needs to be reminded. God intentionally put signs on earth so he could remind himself about things. This is a good thing. This is a healthy thing. Cherish the fact that you have someone you can do that with. Don't get mad about it. And if you need something, say, well, we talked about that before, and then she forgets about it. Well, you remind her again. You remind him again. I need such and such from you. Just remind him. All right? You know, you want him to give you a kiss when he leaves the house. You know how many guys will just start hitting out the house? Hey, remember, kiss. <laughs> healthy couples do this all the time. You watch, we're constantly reminding each other about stuff. But the ones who aren't healthy, she just gets mad and bitter because he left and he didn't kiss me again. And I asked him seven times. <laughs> really? Check your medication. Stop. <laughs> Quit getting mad over stupid stuff. Goodness gracious. I know, you know, marriage problems, some of them get really complicated, but the bulk of them just fall in the category of dumb as a brick. Quit getting mad about stuff. It's normal. God does it. God loves it. God digs it. You are made in the image of God, which if he needs to be reminded, you need to be reminded. Praise the Lord. Somebody remind me what I was talking about. Okay, let's skip 
to the next verse. The Proverbs 18.22, much more familiar verse about marriage. It says this, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. He who finds, everybody says find. What does that mean? You have to look. Hello, you single people. You want to find somebody, you got to look. Hello, where are you? I know you're in here somewhere. Hello! You got to make, and here's the problem. Do you know how many Christians, by the way, whenever I speak about singles, they get mad. Because they're still in delusional world, you know. <laughs> Marriage people like me because they know what I'm telling them is true. Single people get mad because they live in fantasy land, you know what I'm saying? Eventually, they will feel our pain. <laughs> but you single people, how many single people we got? Raise your hands. Yes, listen to me, escuchame, okay? You want to find somebody, you got to go look. Quit sitting around saying, I'm just waiting for the Lord to bring me a husband. What are you, Moses? <laughs> you want a husband, you got to go find a husband. You want a wife, you got to go find one. It means you got to go look. Now, I'm not saying the Lord can't help you look. You can, but don't sit around just waiting for God to... Talk to people. Say, I want someone in my life. Say, well, are you dating anybody? No, no, I'm waiting for the Lord to bring me a husband. Well, you're going to be 98 and alone. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Come on. Let's say, let's say I forgot my glasses. You come in here and I'm all upset. And say, Pastor, what's wrong? Say, I, I can't find my glasses. I, I can't. Oh, don't worry, Pastor, I'll help you find them. No! I'm waiting for the Lord to bring me my glasses. <laughs> You would call the nutty farm and drag me away. You need to look. You need to be intentional. And I, I just finished writing a book, actually, and uh, I was hoping to bring it with me. Uh, it kept having one delay after another delay, and it finally showed up Friday afternoon. So I, I didn't have time to bring it with me. But it's, it's, I'm very excited about it. It's a new book. Let's see if you can see this. It's called Being Found. You see that romantic cover? The handsome boy holding the beautiful girl. Being found, the Christian woman's guide to marriage. And by the way, I am mocking them in that picture. <laughs> this idea of this man who's going to come and sweep me off my feet. Oh. <laughs> marriage is about finding or being found. The Bible talks about marriage in ways of looking, taking, finding, but not about just waiting for God to do it for you, all right? You have to be intentional. When you're being intentional, use your brain, which is why I wrote the book, because people aren't using their brains anymore. They're over-spiritualizing everything. Stop. And you know, one of the worst things, you know, I don't know, hopefully your church doesn't do this. But I should check ahead of time, but I don't, you know. Is this thing they're telling young girls today? I, hopefully you don't do it here, but throughout the country, they're telling young girls, you know, don't, don't flirt with boys. Don't, don't make eye contact, you know. Don't let, make them come and pursue you. Oh, you know, it sounds so spiritual, right? But what a bunch of hooey. It doesn't work. I wonder if so many single girls in our churches. You know, there was a recent survey of a bunch of married couples. 
And the results of the survey, 92% of all couples, the relationship was started by the woman. They do it. They smile. Hi. You know? And then the smart ones turn around and make him chase him. But you gotta hook him. Right? You girls need to learn how to play the game. And you know how you learn? You talk to married women, because they play the game. But single girls don't talk to married women, they talk to other delusional single girls. It's the blind leading the blind. No, Pastor, no, 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 no. I want, I, I want to be like Ruth and Boaz. Ruth, and that's what they tell the girls. Don't, don't look at a boy. You need, you need to be like Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and Boaz. You ever read Ruth and Boaz? <laughs> Only Christians quote parts of the Bible to make uh, a point, but it's the opposite of what it's actually saying. We do it all the time. I remember in the 80s, remember the church was having a fit because women started working outside the home? You know, some of you geezers my age, remember, just everybody's having a fit. Everybody, oh, women living, oh, that's going biblical. That's all going biblical. You're supposed to be a, prop, a Proverbs 31 woman. You gotta be a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> Proverbs 31, you ever read Proverbs 31? It's nothing about a woman who does all the work. The guy is sitting on his butt, literally, at the city gates, that's what it says. Right? She's a busy woman. She's making stuff. She's selling stuff. She's buying land. She's into real estate. She's making jacks. The husband is so proud of her. I bet he is. Because he's sitting on his butt at the city gates. Say, praise the Lord. How y'all doing, man? I just, life is good. My wife's doing everything. Hallelujah. Only Christians are so stupid to say women should not work outside the home. It says so in Proverbs 31. Everybody goes, oh, okay. By the way, don't just believe what some preacher tells you. I don't care who it is. I'm telling you, don't believe me. I tell my church all the time, don't believe me. Check it out for yourself. See if it's true. Open the scriptures. Goodness, anyway, this whole thing about girls, and, oh, don't flirt, just guard your heart. And, oh. Gotta be like Ruth and, Bo Ruth and Boaz. The whole thing was rigged by the women. It was, it's just what I said. It was the women who started the relationship. Ruth and Naomi set their eyes on Boaz. We gotta get that boy. <laughs> and in that culture, there was a pecking order. I talk about this in my new book. I hope you go online and buy the book. You girls need this, your daughters need it, your granddaughters need it. I'm telling you, you got to, I wish I'd have brought them with me, but order it, you can have it Tuesday. It's a short trip from here to Green Bay. What was I just talking about? You gotta remind me. <laughs> okay, Ruth and Boaz, that's what it was, okay. So, my age, you never know what happens. So, Ruth and Boaz, the women set it up. And in that pecking system, I won't get into it and explain it, but there were certain guys that had dibs on the girl. Do you know Boaz was not the next guy in line? He knew it and undoubtedly they knew it but they didn't care. They wanted Boaz. Look at him. <laughs> Let's get that one. <laughs> so the whole thing is the women. And Naomi says, get out there and meet him and stuff like that. And he'd meet him, but he was kind of clueless. He didn't get nothing. And he said, well, we got to help this boy. 
So she said, all right, this is what we're going to do. He's going to go work at this party, and then when he lays down to take a nap, you need to lay down by his feet, and then he'll wake up, and surprise, he'll find you. (laughs) You remember the story, right? And the Bible says Naomi took Ruth and got her all dolled up, it says, and smelling pretty. That's what it says. Hey, you want to catch fish, you got to smell like bait. And then sure enough, she lays down by his feet. He wakes up in the middle of the night and says, what are you doing here? She goes, oh, I don't know, praise the Lord. How'd this happen? I don't know. (laughs) And read it. It is Ruth who asks Boaz to marry her. Where do we come up with this nonsense? This over spirit, we're so guilty of over spiritualized nonsense when it comes to the area of relationships. No wonder our people struggle. We need to stop. Lord, if you could just stop the over spiritualization. And when she asked him, he goes, Well, I'm not the next guy in line. Keep reading the story. So he has to go to the next guy in line and ask permission. Say, You want her? You're the next one in line. He says, I don't want her. You can have her. How romantic. All right? And, then, and that's how you got Ruth and Boaz. But we quote that story to tell girls, oh no, don't say anything, just ha oh. ha and, and quit having girls write out their ideal man on pieces of paper. Stop! I hope y'all don't do that. Don't raise your hands if you do. I don't wanna know. Stop, and these girls, and they take your idea, and they write out one page, and they write out to another page, and they fly, just, what, how tall he is, what color his eyes are, what his lips look like, just stop. You see, they never do that with boys. Our lists are very short. (laughs) Number one, boobs. Number two, pretty much a wrap right there. Thank you very much. Stop all this over-romanticizing, over this creating problems. Get the book. Let's skip again. Let's jump to the New Testament. First Corinthians, First Corinthians the seventh chapter. Verse 28, as we jump around looking at nuggets here to chew on, Paul says this, these warm, encouraging words. If you do marry, you have not sinned. (laughs) Well, thanks. If I'm virgin Mary, she has not sinned. Wow, wow. Now you have to understand something. The seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians he talks about marriage, and he's talking all about it. And really what he's trying to do is convince people not to get married. That's what he's doing. Have you read it? This is, you know, today it's like, you know, oh, great if you're married and too bad if you're single, right? But that's not what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, it's great if you're single, too bad if you're married. And that's when he finally says, look, if you marry, it's not a sin, all right. Wow. Now, the first thing to notice here is he's arguing with them about making a choice. His argument is to choose being single. That's that's not the point. I don't don't care about that. It's not like being single is a party. 
just Paul, he was very intense. The part I want you to catch is he's talking about it as a choice. Here, Christians struggle greatly and stumble all the time. And some of y'all get mad at me about it, but it just is what it is. Marriage is a choice. It is not a divine appointment. That's what the scripture teaches. Not today. Oh, the Lord's going to bring me. I'm just going to wait for the Lord to tell me who to marry. Really? See, the problem with that is you start dating some guy. Let's say, I don't know, he's a psycho. (laughs) And he just got out of prison for axe murder. All right? But he got out on a technicality. And you start dating him. And, And then we, all your family, church family, we start to point out to you, you know, he's a psycho. Okay? But you don't listen. Do you know why? Because the Lord told me he's the one. See, as soon as you get into the spiritual life, you're not listening anymore. You need to listen. Listen to your family and friends. Get the book. I talk about this. Listen. Quit over-spiritualizing it. You mean God won't tell me? I don't think so. Look, I, you know, I will say this. You don't find it anywhere in the Bible. No place. Nowhere in the scriptures, which is supposed to be our example, can you find where God told anybody to marry anyone. The closest you can find is when an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream about taking Mary as his wife, but he'd already picked her. And even then, he doesn't, the angel doesn't say marry her. The angel just says, don't be afraid. See, because he was freaking out because nobody was buying the angel told me story. Would you? <laughs> pregnant. What happened? It was an angel. Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't think so. They didn't believe her, neither would you. Jefferson was freaking out, and the angel says, just calm down. Don't be afraid. Well, we could preach forever on that. Just the boys, guys dating these girls for eight years at a time. Can't make their decisions. Man, girls, don't you let boys do that to you. You listen to me. Again, it's in the book. In my book, I give you the 12-month dating plan. If at the end of 12 months he doesn't ask you to marry him, dump his butt and move on. Girls, listen, this is what happens. You need to talk to your daughters, because they're not listening to me. You need to talk to your daughters and your granddaughters and tell them the stuff. Here's what they're doing. At 20 years of age, she starts dating some Nimrod. They date for five years, and then he dumps her. She is so emotionally invested, it takes her two years to recover. She is now 27. She does it again, plays the same stupid game. Now she's 35. One more time, she's 41, and wondering where all the men are. Where are all the men, Pastor? Sweetheart, they're still dating the 20-year-olds. Don't let men suck the best years of your life by endlessly dating. It shouldn't take them very long. Within a year, he can't figure out he wants to do life with you. Dump him and move on. See, if you do that when you're 20, you dump him by the time you're 21. You can dump a whole bunch by the time you're 26. You can go through a bunch of them. (laughs) Till you find someone who's serious about you. And all this game playing, oh, we can't get married, we're too young. Nonsense. And this is where you grandparents and parents, y'all need to stop. 
telling your kids they're too young. What do you mean they're too young? Well, I want them to go to college and marriage is, is distracting. Marriage isn't distracting. You know what's distracting? Dating. <laughs> Way more distracting. For you to let your kids date in college but you don't want them to marry is an absurd concept. No wonder they're out there fornicating and doing everything else. We need to be smarter than this. Besides, all the studies have shown that the married young people in college do better in school than the single ones. It is absolutely true, especially the boys. They're finally getting sex. They can think about something else for five minutes. <laughs> it clears the mind. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm in class now. Whoa, yeah. Well, Pastor, I, I, they don't have any money. I gotta wait till they have enough money. Quit telling them that. Who has enough money? I am 62 years of age. I still do not have enough money. If I had enough money, I probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> I'd be on an island somewhere worshiping the Lord. Stop that. Well, I don't want them to struggle. Wrong. All studies have shown the most successful relationships are the ones that start with the greatest challenges. But what do you do? You wait and wait. Don't get married. You're too young. You're too fat. You're too stupid. You're not educated. <laughs> and then if I start this idyllic thing, and it doesn't take long before it's not idyllic anymore. Right? I mean, stop. They wait. I want my career. And I want, what you, who says you can't have a career if you're married? Who says you can't go to school if you're married? I'm not telling you just to go get married for the sake of getting married, but you fall in love with someone, you want to get be with them, marry them. Stop all the fornicating and the porn and all the stuff that is destroying our young people. And get on with it. <laughs> stuff drives me crazy. And, and that's a short drive for me. Paul's telling him, look, you need to make a choice. Stay single. That's what he says. But, you know, if you, don't, if you get married, it's okay, you know. And he basically says the number one reason to get married is for sex. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Blessed be his holy name. <laughs> People say, well, you shouldn't get married for sex. Really? <laughs> you know, and the church is really guilty of this. We over-spiritualize. No, marriage is about having a prayer partner. It's about having someone you can spiritually fellowship with. Really? I can pray with anybody. I can fellowship with anybody. I can only get naked with one. should be celebrating that for heaven's sakes. Marriage, biblically speaking, always has been a sexual contract. That's what it is. When you say I do, it means I do you, you do me, we don't do anybody else. You're supposed to be doing each other for heaven's sakes. Obey the word of the Lord. But wait till the service is over. All right, so the first part of that verse, 
If you do marry, you haven't sinned. But then he gives these encouraging words. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Now, there's a verse you don't hear at many marriage conferences, do you? Oh, it's supposed to be so spiritual and uniting. Oh, man, this one marriage conference I heard about recently. Oh, I just, oh. Oh, Lord, help me not to cuss. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's a marriage. They're over-spiritualizing. They're saying sex is the highest form of worship. I ain't worshiping. I'm connecting with the redhead. <laughs> worshiping? What are you talking about? We over-spiritualize nonsense. Stop talking in those terms. If that's the case, then Paul never truly experienced worship. And heaven is all jacked up because Jesus said there ain't no sex in heaven. So apparently nobody's having any worship up there. <laughs> Those who marry will have troubles in the life, this life. You don't hear that verse at many weddings. <laughs> but the truth is marriage is hard. I told you that this morning. It's really, 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 really hard, but it's supposed to be. Anything worth having is difficult to attain. You got to work at it. Sometimes it's monotonous over and over and over and over again. It's like these musicians. Weren't they great up here doing their thing? They're... Is this thing on? How do you get to a piano? All right. Give the man a hand. This thing's like speaking in tongues over here. I don't know what that is. It says lay it down. Is that an instruction or the sound? Lay it down. I ain't laying it down. It's already laying. Thank you. You get to play by doing the monotonous. again, but you do it intentionally. You work at it so you can finally get comfortable and you can play when you want to play. purpose. It's intentional and it's hard. You know how many hours I went nah, 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 nah. <laughs> marriage is hard. Look, the truth is, folks, what your spouse does may very well irritate you until the day you die. <laughs> it's hard. The good news is you die. <laughs> Hang on, baby, that's almost here. Just hang on a few more months. I can feel it come. <laughs> you know why it's so hard? It's because we draw people toward us that are the exact opposite of us. We're drawn to those opposites. 
or pull towards each other like a slow-moving car wreck. <laughs> and then we get married and we drive each other crazy. And make no mistake, every single argument in marriage boils down to one very simple argument. Why can't you be more like me? <laughs> right? Because clearly I am brilliant and you are mentally ill. Paul says, I want to spare you this. But on the other hand, being single isn't a picnic either. I like what Solomon said, two are better than one. Marriage is about doing life with somebody. It's not about peaches and cream all the time. It's about everything just in this unending state of, oh. Because some people say, oh, pastor, we're just more compatible. The problem is we're not compatible. We need to be more compatible. Compatible. People don't even know what the word means. Do you know what the word compatible means? It literally comes from the Greek word kompati. Doubt me, Google it as you're sitting there. Kompati, which interpreted means to suffer with. <laughs> this idea of two people who feel the same about everything and want to do everything the same way and oh, oh, oh and always have the same reaction. That is not compatible. There's a different word for that. It's called delusional. <laughs> Skip again to our next nugget. Ephesians 5.23 says this familiar scripture, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now a lot of people really stumble over this, this head thing. What does it mean? It just means he's responsible. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything more than that. We again over-spiritualize it and over-push it. You go to some of these marriages conferences, you get all depressed because your husband isn't being that kind of guy. Really? He's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. Do you know the Bible never says that? Not one time. It's amazing how many times we repeat falsehoods over or inaccuracies at a minimum until we take it as fact. Bible doesn't say he's supposed to be more spiritual. Whoever's more spiritual is just more spiritual. It doesn't have anything to do with Jack. Well, he should, he's supposed to handle all the finances. Who says? Because he's the head. Well, that don't mean nothing. It doesn't mean he has to do it. Do you know the heads of most companies don't do anything? Think of your boss. <laughs> a lot of them don't even know how to do or make what it is that they sell. That right. He owns the company, he don't know Jack. If you cats weren't going to work, he'd be up a creek. The president of the United States, you know what presidents do? Nothing. They don't do anything. They just make decisions, make sure things are going along, that's all. Do you know the president of the United States, everyone, this one, the last one, all of them, the President of the United States is always the dumbest person in the room. It's true. When a President walks in to discuss military matters, who do you think knows more about military matters? The President or all his military leaders? When he discusses economics, who do you think knows more? The President or all his economic leaders? The President is always the dumbest guy in the room. What's it mean? It just means he's the head. He's got to be responsible. At the end of the day, it's his job. He doesn't do it, out he goes, in comes the next one. 
It's about being responsible. Don't think the Bible says your husband has to do everything. Well, then who should do what? Just whoever's better at it. Goodness gracious, if you're good with money and he can't add, <laughs> then you should handle the money. What do you care? We make stuff that's not even there into things and on and on and on. People get mad. You're supposed to be more spiritual than me. You know, women, they'll read like 10 books a week. Do you know the average man from the time he graduates high school until the day he dies, on average, they will read one book. <laughs> and they don't want to read no stupid book. Now, hopefully some of you do because you can buy my book. But women love to read. <sighs> and they feel way more spiritual. A lot of them have way more knowledge. So what? So what? Think of the Old Testament. Do you know they always had the king and the prophet? The king and the prophet. Do you know who's always more spiritual? The prophet. You know who's always in charge? The king. Why wasn't God make the king and the prophet the same one? The only exception would be Moses essentially became a prophet and a king. But in the beginning, he had needed his brother or whatever just to talk for him because he couldn't talk. In fact, God told him, you will be like uh, God and, and, you, and, and he'll be your prophet. Yeah. It's such a successful formula that you know Satan copies it in the end because there's going to be the false, there's going to be the antichrist and the false prophet. Just because you're more spiritual, more knowledgeable and stuff like that doesn't mean that you've usurped anything. Who cares? This isn't a competition. Do life together. Bring, and everybody's going to look different. You have different degrees of talents and stuff. Join together and make something wonderful. But everybody gets so mad about who they've married and they're not like me and I don't know what I was thinking. Because you know, loud people always marry quiet people. Thoughtful people marry ditzes. Right? I mean, it's always like that. You know, the ones I get a kick out of are real high energy women who marry real quiet men. And it drives them crazy. Because nothing's more irritating to a woman than a non-responsive man. And they try and stab him, trying to get a response out of him, you know. <laughs> nothing's more frustrating to a woman than a man who won't fight with her. And these quiet, quiet men emerge these high energy women, these women just, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I married him, Pastor. I don't know. I'll tell you why. Because nobody else in the world would have married you. That's why. <laughs> because you're so intense. Of course you're gonna marry some guy on morphine. <laughs> if I was dating you, I'd kill you and bury you in the backyard, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Quit getting mad about the differences. Quit getting mad about things. Not the, just, this is not heaven. Shocker. We are joint heirs together with Christ. We're doing life together. Two are better than one, and together we build a family, we build a life. People who are married are happier, healthier. All the studies show this are happier, healthier, they live longer, they make more money, particularly for single guys. It's amazing. In fact, one of the most dangerous things, statistically speaking, is for a man to remain single. They say it's the equivalent of smoking two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. Isn't that wild? I guess the worst thing is a single guy who smokes two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. He's, he's doing it. <laughs> 
Relationships can be wonderful. They can also be frustrating, but it's wonderful to have someone to share life with. But I'll tell you, the most important relationship you can ever have is a relationship with God. What happened in the beginning? Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and death and hatred and sin entered the world. People often say, well, if there's, there's a God, why is there so much awful stuff in the world? Well, that's because we told God to stick it. And we don't want to listen to God. That's what happens when people don't listen. That's because evil is in the world. But what started out as a disaster is corrected on the cross. Jesus comes and he fixes all that. And he says there's no longer Jew and Gentile. No longer male or female. We're all one in Christ. Jesus fixed. It is the most important relationship you will ever have is to walk with God, which is all possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for your kindness and for your mercies. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us not to over-spiritualize things. Help us not to over-romanticize things. Help us to take things as they are and to do life and to pay our bills and go to work and deal with diapers and all the other stuff and everything that life has. I thank you for our spouses, Lord, that we can do life together with them. I pray for our young men and women here, the single ones. Help them to be wise, to listen, to be open-minded. Don't live in fantasy worlds or over-spiritualize things so they can grow and learn, make good choices. But most of all, Lord, help us to always celebrate the most important relationship we have, which is right here with you. For this, we are so grateful, O oh Lord.